Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10:12 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is the 25th of January, 2021. This is episode 200 and 200, 352 of Bitcoin. And let's hear from our good friend, Michael Saylor. Give me an example of something you can own $100 million of where you can take personal custody of it and where you can actually move it anywhere on earth and where even if I hold a gun to your head, I can't take it from you. And the only thing we've ever figured out that you can do that with is Bitcoin. And so Bitcoin is like... Um, it keeps everybody honest. The optionality to do this means that all you've got to do is find one bank in Singapore that'll treat you better than the bank in New York or London or Tokyo, and then you can move it in a half an hour for five bucks. And what happens next? The bank in New York thinks, well, I guess we can't screw these guys over because in, they'll just move it to Singapore. And the guys in California say, well, I can't, I can't just tax all the Bitcoin in California. It'll move to Wyoming. It'll move to Singapore. It'll move to Malta. And at the end of the day, you can tell everybody to go fuck themselves. You can put it in your head, memorize the freaking key, right? And it's here. And then, you know, the classic Bitcoiner response is, oh, yeah, my Bitcoin, uh, I lost it in a boating accident. You ever heard that phrase? It's, it's kind of a trope, but what it means is at the end of the day, if you push me too far, I lost it. It's gone. Sorry. Tax that. Oh, I really wish he would have ended that with bitches. Honestly, that would have been perfect. But I mean, as it is, it's pretty good so far because that, well, I mean, come on. It's, he's right. Boating accidents are tragic affairs. I probably shouldn't make light of them, but they happen to Bitcoiners almost all the time. So, you know, what he says is true. Now, if the audio sounds different, it's because I changed up the entire studio. A big couch got moved out of it and furniture soaks up sound. And also a couple other things got moved around. Uh, so we'll, I'm just gonna have to play with it. There's just nothing else I can do at the moment but to continue on with the show. <clears throat> and the show starts this way. The United States updates its crypto AML slash CFT laws. Uh, Selva Ozilio is writing this one for Cointelegraph. Cointelegraph is becoming my non-favorite uh, because of the FUD that they printed about the double spend. We'll get to that uh, late. Well, actually, we won't have to get to that. It wasn't a double spend, but they ran with it and it caused like helped cause all kinds of problems that we really didn't need. So I'm going to try to not have too much coin telegraph but this one you know this is the one that i saw about the anti-money laundering laws and what what we're looking at here so <clears throat> this begins 
against great pushback from the crypto industry and as the price of Bitcoin has reached new all-time highs several times during the last couple of months, the United States has updated its cryptocurrency anti-money laundering, combating the financing of terrorism laws. That's where that CFT comes in. Last December, the Senate approved the National Defense Authorization Act and as part of that legislation passed the Anti-Money Laundering Act of 2020 and the Corporate Transparency Acts. The Act's provisions uh, broaden the update or broaden and update the Bank Secrecy Act or the BSA and the United States AML slash CFT regime by one codifying existing FinCEN guidance related to digital currencies by expanding and modifying several definitions and provisions within the BSA to encompass, quote, value that substitutes for currency, end quote. Thereby, it requires businesses that operate with cryptocurrency to qualify as money transmitters to register with the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network and establish reporting and record-keeping requirements for transactions involving certain types of digital currencies as detailed in proposed regulations issued by FinCEN. Two, requiring many smaller companies to disclose beneficial ownership information to FinCEN. Three, prohibiting a person from knowingly concealing or attempting to conceal, falsifying or misrepresenting from or to a financial institution a material fact concerning the ownership or control of assets involved in a monetary transaction if one, the person or entity who owns or controls the assets is a senior foreign political figure or any immediate family member or close associate of a senior foreign political figure and two, the aggregate value of the assets involved in one or more monetary transactions is not less than $1 million United States currency value, the USD. And four, creating awards to whistleblowers up to 30% of monetary penalties recovered from an entity where the tip has led to penalties over $1 million who report actionable information about BSA AML slash CFT violations. At the end of last year, the United States Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network also issued proposed regulations looking to subject convertible digital currency or digital asset transactions to similar AML slash CFT reporting requirements placed on another financial institution by the BSA. The new regulations, if adopted, okay, so they're not adopted yet. This shit isn't, isn't here yet, but... You know, it it could happen, and it probably will. But the new regulations, if adopted, would require entities covered, <clears throat> covered by the AML slash CFT, including payments involving unhosted wallets, not held by a third-party financial system. That's what they mean. It's like my, you know, uh, my cold card or my ledger is, in their terminology, an unhosted wallet. Anyway... Payments involving unhosted wallets to obtain and report the identities of parties engaging in cryptocurrency transactions if the transaction exceeds $3,000. This information would include the name and address of the financial institution's customer, the type of cryptocurrency used, the amount of cryptocurrency in said transaction, the exact time and date of the transaction, the assessed value of the transaction in U.S. dollars based on the prevailing exchange rate at the time of the transaction, which exchange rate, asshole, any payment instructions received from the financial institution's customer, the name and physical address of each counterparty to the transaction of the financial institution's customer, other counterparty information the secretary may prescribe as mandatory on the reporting form, 
any other information that uniquely identifies the transaction, the accounts, and to the extent reasonably available, the parties involved. Any form relating to the transaction that is completed or signed by the financial institution's customers. Holy shit, that covers a lot of ground. The new regulations will also require banks and money service businesses to report the same information for cryptocurrency transactions uh, above $10,000 to FinCEN 15 days from the date on which a reportable transaction occurs. Structuring transactions to avoid the reporting requirements is strictly prohibited under the proposed rules. According to an official press release, Secretary Steven Mnuchin explained, this rule addresses substantial national security concerns in the CVC market and aims to close the gaps that malign actors uh, seek to exploit in the record-keeping and reporting regime. End quote. As a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, governments around the world have been focused, forced to focus on integrating blockchain technology into their financial services. As Secretary Mnuchin added, quote, the rule, which applies to financial institutions and is consistent with existing requirements, is intended to protect national security, assist law enforcement, and increase transparency while minimizing impact on responsible innovation, end quote. Separately, FinCEN announced its intention to amend the BSA's Foreign Bank and Financial Accounts Regulation to mandate U.S. individuals and entities to report cryptocurrency as part of their foreign financial accounts if they have more than $10,000 in cryptocurrencies with foreign financial or digital asset service providers. Okay, listen, Mnuchin has not got this shit passed and because he's gone. And he was not able to get it passed because the, I think it was because of the mountain of emails and letters that were written to FinCEN in their uh, open comment session, there was like at last number I saw, there was like 65,000 responses, whereas normally they'll get a couple of hundred to a thousand whenever they go into open commenting periods. Um, that was that was good. Is this Does that mean it goes away? No, this is not going to go away. If you think it's going to go away and you don't have to worry about it, that's just being naive. They at one point or another, this shit's coming down the pipe. And what it looks like will probably be very similar to what I just read to you. Um, when they said structuring payments, what is structuring? Okay. <clears throat> I don't have to report, you know, any any transaction I make uh that is under three thousand dollars. So I want to buy something that costs exactly six thousand dollars US. I sell in one transaction to the vendor that wants to sell it to me, I give them $2,999. In a second transaction, I give them another $2,999. And then I give them a third transaction of $2. That is a structured payment. That is illegal, apparently. Because all it's real, all you're doing is you're, you're, you're circumventing, um, you're circumventing the $3,000 rule. Personally, I don't think any of this crap should be here, but it is here and we got we have to deal with it. Structuring payments to a ven- vendor and if that vendor lights your ass up, it's jail time. All right? So stay away from thinking we'll all just come in under and make two or th- two or more payments to get my thing. Ooh, I I I wouldn't do that. Um how we're going to deal with it? I don't know. Like I guess like we 
I guess the way we deal with all the rest of the bullshit that we've had to been that we've had to be putting up with for years is just we'll figure out a way. Something will happen, and that's why I don't worry about it. And honestly, lightning's probably gonna be one of those things, but how is that going to escape? Well, we don't know. But lightning is going to be used by OKCoin at this point. OKCoin to integrate Lightning Network. And this is Christian Carolis and Peter Chihuahua writing for Bitcoin Magazine. When was this? January the 22nd was probably after, uh, came out after my Friday show. Cryptocurrency exchange OKCoin has announced that it will be integrating Bitcoin's Lightning Network to enable faster and cheaper transfers for users by running a Lightning node that can route transactions to other nodes in the network. It expects the integration to be complete in three to four weeks, TM. <laughs> in a release shared with Bitcoin Magazine, OKCoin said that this would reduce Bitcoin transaction fees from $10 to about one penny and reduce deposit and withdrawal times from 10 to 60 minutes to a matter of seconds. Quote, the Lightning Network, like Bitcoin, requires a network of nodes and adoption of the technology to perform to the best of its capabilities, Hong Fang, OKCoin CEO, said in the release. Quote, as part of our analysis of the technology, we assess the strength and quality of the nodes and now feel the network is strong enough to participate as an exchange with a high volume of withdrawals and deposits a day, end quote. In addition to the efficiency benefits to be realized by users, OKCoin indicated that the decision was motivated by its desire to foster Bitcoin development. Quote, we have been a Bitcoin exchange since 2013, and while we are excited about DeFi <laughs> and other assets, we know Bitcoin is the foundation of the entire industry, end quote. Further, Bitcoin's network is often congested and has high transaction fees, particularly during bull markets. This eliminates that issue and opens up the possibility of micropayments for Bitcoin commerce, end quote. OKCoin also noted the privacy-preserving benefits that off-chain Lightning payments can bring for its users and highlighted the smaller SAT-denominated transactions that the Lightning Network enables. We hope other blockchain companies follow suit and lift the whole industry up by speeding up Bitcoin payments, Fang said. All right, so now... If, when FinCEN finally does enact their draconian bullshit rules, how does, how does this escape that? I'm not sure it does. I, I'm not sure a lightning, uh, a light, paying a lightning invoice is going to be something different, quote, I air quotes there, than a regular on-chain Bitcoin transaction. A transaction is a transaction is a transaction. Is it possible that somebody can come up with a thing that does a transaction but doesn't really do a transaction. And if you don't know what I mean, it's because I am not able to articulate that at all. What I'm getting at is the best way to avoid regulation is to not look like anything that can be regulated. If I give you money and you give me a thing, whether it's a hamburger or a stick of dynamite that I'm gonna go blow somebody up with, both of those transactions are transactions, okay? They can be regulated, they are regulated, and you can be shut down. What does something have to look like where it completely just escapes regulation because it does not look like anything that can be regulated, yet still ends up providing value. And from a philosophical standpoint, I think that would be one of the very toughest nuts to ever crack because a transaction is a transaction is a transaction. But 
there's some big brains out there. If you're one of them, freaking start thinking about it. Because otherwise, we're just going to live with Cantillon Effect 2.0. Bitcoin is the world's first truly fair money, says also Christian Carolis and Dennis Satt, uh, Bitcoin Magazine. When is this written? It was written January the 27th. All this shit came out after my Friday show. What the hell? The, um, uh, this, uh, that, scar, sorry, let me, let me start this over again. <clears throat> we saw the, can oh, good Lord, I'm having problems. The Cantillion effect or Cantillon effect or Cantillon effect, depending on how you pronounce it, refers to the change in relative prices resulting from a change in money supply. The change in relative price occurs because the change in money supply has a specific injection point and therefore a specific flow path through the economy. The first recipient of the new supply of money is in the convenient position of being able to spend extra dollars before prices have increased. But whoever is last in line receive, uh, receives his share of the new dollars after prices have increased. So when new supply of money comes on, like this is me talking here, when new supply of money comes online, nobody knows it came online except the very first person that got a hold of those dollars. So when they buy shit with money that was just printed, they get to buy the house at exactly the same market price as everybody else can buy that exact same house. However, once they do buy the house, then the market understands that new money has come in and inflation starts to come in and that house now costs more. By the time you have a hope in hell of seeing any of that cash, it's already too late, man. It's like you should, it's like if they had just not printed the money and you were still a poor ass beggar in the street, you'd basically be just as well off as you were when somebody handed you a government check. In the end, that's what happens. So now let's go on with this one. We saw the Cantillion or Cantillon effect in 2008 and then again in 2020 when banks and other companies were given bailouts to avoid bankruptcy. These are practical case studies that demonstrate the effectiveness of having direct connections to Wall Street and the Federal Reserve. Only those closest to the individuals controlling the money supply were able to greatly benefit from each recession, while many in the middle and lower classes did not. Today, this can be easily observed in the recent stimulus package being debated in the United States Senate. While senators squabbled for months over the amount of money, big, or <laughs> amount of money, big, I did it again, citizens would receive, there is nothing but bipartisan, silent consensus on the billions of dollars in fresh money going to support massive organizations and interests outside of the direct stated purposes of the bill. Non-neutrality of money means that money is not created and distributed among a population evenly nor fairly. There is an inherent unfairness to money creation, and the easier the money is to create, the more unfair it is for those without the authority or access to certain connections. To put it frankly, getting ahead in life can be catalyzed by getting closer to the money printer. When people talk about institutionalization, what they are really referring to are the rules for getting closer to the money printer today. To the untrained eye, America looks like the land of prosperity, but once the blinders have been lifted, reality shows that it is just the land closest to the money printer. If you zoom out even more, it becomes clear that everyone living in the United States and receiving United States dollars directly is inherently living in a privileged position compared to anyone else in a similar position, but not receiving USD directly. This scales up towards the elites who are truly close to the printer and down to the poor. 
The Cantillion, or sorry, Cantillion effect is not just true for fiat, but it is also true for precious metals as well. Precious metals, mainly gold and silver, historically have been the best available monetary goods humanity could harness. Unfortunately, the mining and custody and validation processes needed for a properly running precious metals economy created weakness for opportunistic central operators to benefit from a privileged position. The Spanish price revolution caused by the mining of newfound gold and silver in America wreaked havoc across Europe and arguably ended the unprecedented growth of the Renaissance. Spanish royalty reaped the benefits of the newfound specie while people across Europe found the buying power of their gold and silver eroding. History is riddled with cases of debasements, coin clipping, and other violations of the fairness of a precious metal system. Ultimately, the failures of precious metals and scaling to a digital global world, as well as the inability to defend against centralization, confiscation, and newfound supply has led to the introduction of the far more unfair fiat monetary systems that we live with today. On January the 3rd, 2009, Satoshi Nakamoto mined the very first block of the Bitcoin blockchain with the message, the Times, uh, January 3rd, 2009, Chancellor on brink of second bailout for banks. The headline from the Times newspaper of London that morning, this was not only a message from Nakamoto about their intentions to create a more fair money, but it effectively timestamped and proved the fair launch of the Bitcoin currency. Because of Nakamoto's deliberate actions and Bitcoin's permissionless free and open source nature, Bitcoin is the first truly neutral money. Bitcoin eliminates the inherent unfairness that comes with all previous monies as well as any need to trust a third party in order to use Bitcoin. The Cantillon Effect 2.0 is introduced to the world by Bitcoin. In a Bitcoin world, rather than being rewarded for privileged status and geography, only those living closer to the truth can reap the fruits of value creation. Quote, the only way to get Bitcoin is to acquire it from someone else. You pretty much can't steal Bitcoin. You have to provide something of value and someone else thinks or someone else has to willingly part with their Bitcoin. I think that profundity of that cannot be overstated. I wonder if they meant profound, whatever. There is no other way to extract value from the global market than to be productive. And I think this is an enormous change for society in quote. And that was Gigi. He's over there at Swan Bitcoin. Uh, the transition towards a Bitcoin standard is an awakening of truth and reality. Bitcoin eliminates the ability for institutions to go against the market because one cannot create Bitcoin out of thin air without an exorbitant amount of energy to mine it. Creating more than 21 million Bitcoin is impossible because the supply cap is enforced by a distributed network of independent nodes. For the first time in history, Bitcoin offers individuals a means for accurate economic calculations. Because Bitcoin enables easy custody and validation of one's Bitcoin, Bitcoin users no longer need to rely on central institutions to hold their wealth. Because of this distribution of keys and the fact that there is no way to move coins without actually gaining control of a Bitcoin private key, the spend key, sensors or thieves must now go from key holder to key holder and extort each individual key. We are seeing technology shift the logic of violence on a fundamental level. Gone are the days that a government can simply freeze one's bank account. This increased cost in the extortion and control of a population's wealth is a fundamental shift in how the world is presently organized. The defensibility Bitcoin gives individuals and companies alike is discussed in depth in a recent Bitcoin magazine article named The Sovereign Company Thesis. 
We are all very aware of what a closed and centralized monetary system leads to because we live through it every day. <laughs> Centralization certainly has its use cases, but not when there is a lack of accountability for the dilution of an, in, of an individual's labor. Creating money from nothing continues to plague a person's productivity and ability to get ahead in life. With Bitcoin, the accountability is placed on the individual rather than the institution or on self-appointed bureaucrats who are far too removed from the realities of most people's situations. There are very few people who understand how money is created and how governors within Federal Reserve branches decide on, quote, acceptable inflation rates. How much is too much inflation versus how little is too little? Fiat becomes more akin to improv theater than actual real science. Rules are broken when demanded or deemed necessary by those in power, while citizens of nations have no say in what is best for their monetary interest. In contrast, Bitcoin's consensus rules are unchanging and its code is upgraded extremely slowly with world-class peer review, unlike your iPhone. Which breaks down if not upgraded, Bitcoin upgrades are optional and users opt in on a volunteer basis. The Bitcoin network's consensus is purer than democracy. It does not seek to take, take away from the productive in order to so support the rent-seeking or the parasitic. It continues to incentivize the best outcomes for all participants, especially when that means forcing individuals to be more productive in order to acquire more Bitcoin. In the last 12 years of Bitcoin's existence, one would be hard-pressed to find someone who has not yet heard of the digital currency. However, up until this point, it has taken an abnormal amount of curiosity to find out what money really is, how is it created, how it has been used throughout history and what successfully makes a currency or store of value versus what does not. Today, Bitcoin is the viral orange pill waking the world uh, to what our current monetary system is and how it affects our daily lives. In a Bitcoin-based world, rather than a world where benefits are unfairly accrued to those who have the right social positioning and leverage, value is accrued by those creating value, those who are closer to the truth. Ultimately, Bitcoin enables individuals the ability to opt out and build outside of the existing constructs of control. <clears throat> These benefits are not experienced equally. The earlier an adopter is, the more they are rewarded, as it should be within a truly fair system. Bitcoin rewards the curious. We all find Bitcoin at the time we deserve it most. There are those who held Bitcoin really early but are no longer involved with the space. Some people have to travel the more excruciating journey of finding Bitcoin very early only to cash out their position before huge value is unlocked, not just with Bitcoin's price, but in unlocking the true potential of productive individuals who are not in the most ideal situations. Bitcoin changes that by being accessible to anyone with an internet connection, with the introduction of the internet and access to information, Bitcoin will play a similar role in continuing to expose the opaque practices of centralized banking networks. A transparent future allows for more opportunity. What happens to the world when there is money that truly comes with no baked-in privilege? Welcome to the Bitcoin Renaissance. Oh yeah, I like that one. Now I, you know, I don't normally read the the essays. I try to stick with the news, but this one. You know, it's it makes a lot of sense because it's one of the pivotal reasons why we Bitcoin is this money printing bullshit. 
I, I don't have to worry about, you know, security of trans, I'm, I'm, well, I do have to worry about it, but I'm, I don't have to think about security of transactions, decentralize this, running your own node. If I just look at something that is different, that has a completely different rule set for how you get the money, then Bitcoin by itself for just that reason makes complete sense. It does not make sense to have be you know to have a group after group after group in a linear fashion have first second third fourth fifth you know all the way down to like by the time us plebs get it you know a hundred groups of people have had access to the money before we even see it and each time it goes down the line the market is more and more acutely aware that that money exists and the market will always always price that shit in if it knows about it, except the having, I don't think the havings are ever priced in, but I think it's not because we, we don't know about it. We know exactly when the having cycles for Bitcoin happen. I think it's that enough people don't understand what that actually means. And therefore it goes over their head and is not accepted as information more than it is accepted as noise. So it doesn't have the proper effect, but money, the USD and all that shit, all that is information. Although now being in Bitcoin as long as I have, I now recognize it as noise and there is no real information. With all that said, hey, let's, let's run some numbers. New York City is open for business. Therefore, we're not doing futures. We're doing what is actually going on. And everything in the United States is down. Everything in Asia is up. S&P 500 down 0.4 of a percent. NASDAQ is down 0.02. The Dow Jones Industrial is down 0.77. FTSE is down 0.86. Nikkei is up 0.6. Uh, oh, God. Hang Sang market up. 2.4%, Shanghai is up 0.48%. The volatility index has jumped 12 to or jumped up by 12.69%. Wow, dude, that's like a I'm looking I just wanted to load the graph here of that just so that I can see it. And yeah, it's like god dang, man. Wow. Okay, well, whatever. Um let's see. Where are we at? We need to go and talk about commodities here for a second. Oil, West Texas Intermediate, that is, is down 0.9%. $52.17 is going to get you a barrel of that. Natural gas, I just love the volatility here, man. It's up 4.5%. $2.55 is going to get you 1,000 cubic feet of that. Gold is down 0.23. Silver is down 0.85. Holy smokes, man. Uh, wheat is up, if you give, gave a shit, but I don't. Let's talk about real money. Bitcoin is at $34,128. Uh, that's going to be our high, our low. Where is our low? It's going to be over at GDAX as usual. And it's $33,810. Um, so there's almost, there's not, not, I don't know. There's, I don't know. I guess there's some trading room there if you want to go Arbit, but whatever. Uh, only 293,000 transactions have been performed over the last 24 hours. That's 12,231 transactions every hour on the hour. 
with only, wow, only 251,000 BTC have been sent in the last 24 hours. That's 10,500 BTC being sent on average every hour. The average transaction value is 0.85 BTC and the median transaction value is 0.016 BTC. That's 550 bucks. Block times are almost right at 10 minutes with 10 minutes and four seconds. Uh, we have six or 0.61 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, 88 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. In the last 24 hours, we've had a drop in hash rate. We've come down 7.69%, but we are at 146 exahashes per second. Did Doge do anything? I like Doge. I don't use it. It's a shit coin. Don't buy it. But if you have a bag, don't ever sell it. It's unethical. However, some people have done so. 26,790 transactions keep, keeps it on top of Ethereum Classic. However, it has lost its... Uh, well, no, actually, it still has a larger uh, market cap than Ethereum Classic. <laughs> okay. Let's see what Clark has to say. 41,000 transactions are waiting to board 75 blocks to clear. We have $628.4 billion of Bitcoin market cap, and that has captured 5.23% of gold's uh, total market cap. You can now buy 18.1 ounces of gold with a single Bitcoin, and there are 18,610,069.15 BTC in circulation. and well, Clark's got a price of 33,790. Uh, we have 1,055.6 BTC in the Lightning Network, and that's $35.7 million worth of capacity over 8,480 nodes and 37,113 channels. Uh, Tor capacity, 52.1%, and that means that it's got 550.11 BTC for capacity, and that's going to do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. Davos News. Uh, I, I guess they're I guess they're doing it again. The World Economic Forum and Davos and those assholes in Switzerland skiing. Uh, Sam Borgi is going to bring you this one from Coin Telegraph. Uh, cryptocurrency makes World Economic Forum's Davos agenda sessions devoted to get this quote resetting digital currencies end quote are scheduled at this week's Davos agenda. Oh man, dude. It's like the, these are like some of the most unimaginative people. It's like, you know, like build back better and the great reset. And here we have resetting digital currencies. You know what? There are several classes that these guys can go to and take to become funnier or wittier or more inventive. And they just refuse to do it. I guess skiing at Davos is, is the way that they do their shit. Anyway, the World Economics Forum's uh, upcoming Davos agenda will feature two separate sessions on cryptocurrency, offering another compelling sign that digital assets have permeated mainstream consciousness. The sessions, titled Resetting Digital Currencies, will be held on Monday and th Thursday. The first session will feature five public speakers, including people, that, including all these people that don't know shit about digital currencies. The Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey and Hikmet Ezrik uh, or ERSEC, President and CEO of Western Union. Thursday's group feature 
uh, features four speakers, including Tharman. There's no way I'm pronouncing that last name. Uh, a senior minister for the government of Singapore, and Zhu Min, chairman of the Beijing-based National Institute for Financial Research. Quote, COVID-19 has accelerated the long-term shift from cash, reads the prospectus from both sessions. Quote, meanwhile, central bank digital currencies are emerging, potentially transforming how people use money worldwide. It continues, what policies, practices, and partnerships are needed to leverage the opportunities posed by the rise of digital currencies? Davos Agenda is a five-day summit featuring some of the world's leading figures in finance and government. Uh, The cryptocurrency series falls under the summit's fairer economies theme. Other themes include tech for good and how to save the planet and healthy futures. God, these people. The World Economic Forum is devoted to scaring the piss out of babies. I'm sorry, I read that wrong. The World Economic Forum is devoted more resources to understanding blockchain technology and cryptocurrency. The Geneva-based organization has even created a cryptocurrency working group, which only last month published its inaugural review, focusing on the various use cases for digital assets, quote, beyond price and speculation. The forum's research has cited blockchain technology as a key driver of sustainable digital finance. Blockchain and smart contract capability, its researchers argue, can unlock hidden values of legacy digital systems. We are not your fucking life support, asshole. Central bank digital currencies or CBDCs are one area of research the forum has delved to in the past 18 months. In January of 2020, the organization announced it had developed a framework to help banks evaluate, design, and potentially deploy CBDCs. The framework was developed in conjunction with over 40 central banks, financial institutions, and academic researchers. And I believe what they actually, they I think they just misspelled con men, thieves, and convicts, honestly, man. But here's more narrative bullshit, okay? Narrative, narrative, narrative. You, you got to keep track of the narrative. Otherwise, it's going to come up and just run all over your ass. Bitcoin is bad narrative weakens as Aussie banks reportedly laundered $385 million for drug cartels. Please tell me that I don't have to read that again for you to go, that's fucked up. Because it is. It's completely screwed up. It's a bank supposedly regulated under AML and CFT. And here they are laundering money. And why? Why, why will people spend time defending the legacy system? You tell them about Bitcoin, they think you're crazy. You try to describe what money actually is and they don't freaking get it because it's like, I don't know, it's that whole sailor or that that uh, Stone Ridge letter, the fish doesn't know that it's swimming in water. It's that, I, all of us in this space have heard these stories time and time again. And yet somehow or another, when we bring it up to normie people, they just look at us cross-eyed and like we're trying to commit some evil act when we tell them, hey, this bank just laundered $385 million for drug cartels and Anthonia Isichi is going to tell us about it from Crypto Potato. He's writing this one sometime yesterday. Amid the renewed anti-Bitcoin remarks ascribed to mainstream finance stakeholders, reports have engaged showing banks or emerged showing banks in Australia working in cahoots with violent South American cocaine cartels. 
Despite aspersions to the contrary, the crypto market continues to account for an insignificant proportion of global financial crimes. According to the Australian Financial Review, banks in the country have reportedly laundered about 500 million Australian dollars for South American drug cartels. The revelation is coming amid actions taken by law enforcement agencies in the country to disrupt the elaborate money laundering scheme. Details from the investigation into the matter revealed that Australian banks helped move over 300 million Australian dollars between 2014 and 2017. The banks also reportedly used dirty money from drug cartels to purchase expensive electronic items for onward improvements to Southeast Asia and the Middle East. Nine financial institutions have been implicated in the matter, according to the Australian Border Force, with seven others others based outside the country. Commenting on the report, an ABF spokeswoman revealed, quote, the ABF is committed to protecting the Australian community by combating and disrupting criminal behavior that exploits Australia's cross-border trade systems and has effectively disrupted the Australian-based money laundering operations of the entities, end quote. The revelation that Aussie banks are helping to launder money for criminal organizations is coming on the heels of reported discriminatory practices by some banks against crypto traders and exchanges. As previously reported by Crypto Potato, a Bitcoin exchange owner recently took legal actions against two banks for closing his accounts. Back in 2019, leaked documents from the United States Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, FinCEN, exposed massive money laundering deals by banks. At the time, the dossier showed major American banks funneling over $2 trillion, that's trillion with a T, in dirty money for various criminal organizations. Indeed, U.S. banks continue to pay huge fines for illegal practices, ranging from money laundering to spoofing. In 2020, U.S. officials also fined Wells Fargo over $3 billion for multiple illegalities spanning a 15-year period. Interestingly, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway holds a significant portion of Wells Fargo stocks. It is perhaps ironic that Buffett espoused anti-Bitcoin sentiment related to illegalities when Wells Fargo seems to have facilitated transfers associated with said criminal activities. And that's the end of the article. Again, Don't let it escape you that these are banks that use anti-money laundering shit all over. Every time that you want to do something, it's AML this and KYC that. It's not for the banks. It's not for the criminals. It's so that you don't get a chance to take a slice of the pie away from the criminals that already fucking exist. We live in a screwed up world where we allow this shit to happen. I don't see anybody like I see people like get all pissed off that Trump ain't going to get elected and and storm the Capitol. They call it an insurrection. Again, know your narrative. That's a spun up narrative. No, it's just a bunch of fucking yahoos break into the into the Congress. They didn't rip any pictures off the wall. They didn't do as far as I can tell, aside from windows and a couple of doors being damaged. There's no damage. Well, I guess they had to replace Speaker Pelosi's podium or something like that. But I mean, come on. You know, it's not like they went in there and hacked around like all the pictures of Washington and shit that's been hanging in there for over 100 years, right? No, no, we'll we'll get pissed off about that. But no, when I tell people that the AML stuff is complete garbage, they get pissed off at me. And I'm not taught, that's not hubris. That's not like me just inflating the situation. They really get angry. And yet here we have, a whole set of Australian banks, along with the United States banks, 
engaged with, with also with Chinese banks, engaged in facilitating actual money laundering to the tune of multiple trillions of dollars. I just, it's, it never, it never ends. The bullshit never ends. Former UK cybersecurity chief says, laws are needed to stop ransomware payouts. Not stop ransomware, not that you could, but they don't need, I get infected, I can't make the payout to get my data back. This is bizarre. It's coming out of Coindesk and it's written by Tanzil Akhtar, who says, uh, people, quote, people are paying Bitcoin to criminals and claiming back cash via insurance claims, Syrian Martin said. Yeah, again, know your narrative. This is never going to stop. UK's former cybersecurity chief said companies paying hackers to recover from ransomware attacks are funding organized crime and new laws may be needed to stop the practice. Syrian Martin, who was the founding chief executive of the National Cybersecurity Center, told The Guardian that insurance firms sending funds on behalf of affected companies have made it, quote, okay to pay out to criminals. Quote, people are paying Bitcoin to criminals and claiming back cash via insurance claims. Criminal gangs often from Russia, know your narrative, or other former Soviet states are fueling the ransomware problem, according to the report. The UK's extortion laws were formed mainly in response to the threat of kidnapping and forbid the payment of ransoms to terrorists, but don't apply to ransomware demands. Quote, in the last year, experts are saying this is close to getting out of control. You have to look seriously about changing the law on insurance and banning these payments, or at the very least, having a major consultation with the industry. Chainalysis recently reported ransomware attacks were up 311% in 2020 when compared to the year before. So, I, I mean, I get what he's saying, but you can't, you, you just can't. I, I mean, honestly, you can't do this because here's what will happen. Uh, somebody like a, like a regional hospital, let's say St. Joseph's, uh, that like their Lubbock campuses, which I think they have, there's two campuses and probably some satellite stuff out there. It's a large organization. I was working there for Perot Systems when they were contracting Perot Systems to do like the IT stuff. And one night I get a phone call and said, shit, it's all hands on deck. Can you come help? I'm like, okay, whatever. So I just went up there, figure out what the hell was going on. And somebody had opened up an email that had a worm in it. Okay. And this is one, this was one of the most brutal worms I've ever seen. This thing expanded through that system geometrically, but there was no ransom. It was just somebody being malicious and just wanted to screw up the hospital. And it was getting into every single computer. And it didn't matter. We'd go track down a computer and we'd clean its clock and it would turn right around and reinfect the same damn computer. So we had to actually pull most of the computers offline until we had the situation under control and then start putting them back up one at a time to make sure that they didn't get infected. It took 24 hours to clear that shit out. Now, if that had been a situation that we couldn't get control of, and it has said, hey, pay us one Bitcoin, you'll be damn sure the executives would figure out a way to buy a Bitcoin and give it to the ransomware hackers so that they can go ahead and conduct the business of trying to help people not die, get surgeries, or, you know, patch up a skin knee. I don't know what hospitals do. But under this, this guy is actually suggesting that you can't even do that. I understand that 
what he's saying, yeah, it's like you pay Bitcoin and get cash back. So, and you, but honestly, the narrative is that you're funding terrorists by doing this. So you, it has to be stopped. What are you going to do if St. If Saint Joe is like not allowed by law to gain control of their computer systems? What do you think is going to happen? I'm just saying, man, people are just becoming absolutely unglued over the fact that they are going to lose control of the monetary system. And if it doesn't happen tomorrow, it will happen eventually. This shit cannot continue. Even Bill Miller seems to agree because he buys MicroStrategy debt for the Bitcoin. <laughs> Bill Miller doesn't just want to invest in Bitcoin. He wants to invest in a company that owns a lot of Bitcoin. I think that's dumb, but whatever. Jeff Benson is writing this one for Decrypt.co sometime on the 22nd. Bill Miller, a value investor whose estimated net worth is close to $1 billion, sees plenty of value in Bitcoin and, by extension, the publicly traded company that owns more than $2.3 billion of it. In an investor letter dated January the 21st, he explained Miller, uh, Miller Value Fund's recent purchase of MicroStrategy's 0.75% convertible bond. It's all about the Bitcoin. MicroStrategy, a business intelligence company that trades on NASDAQ, holds 70,784 Bitcoin after it purchased another $10 million worth this week, which was last week. Currently valued at $2.3 billion. After already betting big on BTC throughout 2020, late last year, the Michael Saylor-led company sold $650 million in debt securities in order to buy more corn. Miller's firm bought the convertible security, which pays out at 0.75% in annual interest and can be converted into stock and or cash, depending on several factors. Quote, in our assessment, there was very little downside and an almost free call option on Bitcoin, he wrote. MicroStrategy now owns more Bitcoin than any operating company, which imbues some scarcity value above and beyond the value of the core business and the coins it holds. You might want to take a look at Grayscale there, pal, but whatever. Since Miller's investment hinged on MicroStrategy going long Bitcoin, the investor laid out the case for owning Bitcoin. Quote, almost every long-term holder of Bitcoin has earned a higher rate of return in Bitcoin than in anything else, and those who understand it see little reason to put their excess marginal liquidity into any other asset at this point, Miller wrote. The world is ruled by fat tail events or seemingly improbable occurrences that have outsized impact and all indicators so far point to Bitcoin being one. Value investors basically look for stocks and other assets they think are trading below their value and invest in them. Though that doesn't sound particularly groundbreaking, the strategy requires investors to ignore day-to-day -day price fluctuations and invest over the long term. In other words, they're hodlers which is why Miller can ignore Bitcoin's price volatility and look at it instead of a store look at it instead as a store of value. Just like he and MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor must ignore the company's stock price since MicroStrategy's market capitalization is around 4. Point or 5.4 billion and 2.3 billion of that comes from Bitcoin, its share prices tend to go up and down with the price of BTC which shed 5 grand in value between Wednesday and Thursday before rebounding somewhat today. Miller isn't concerned, quote, not owning any Bitcoin has been a massive mistake and we expect that that will continue to be true. Miller gets it. Why can't anybody else get this shit? I just, it's astounding, absolutely astounding. Uh, do I want to do this one first? Yeah, let's do this one. Bitcoin of America is on the rise and expands to 600 plus ATMs. This is, who's writing this one? 
Uh, ooh, it just says guest author. <laughs> this is from newsbtc.com. I'm giving them a spin for a news outlet here. Ever since Bitcoin created a new record, oh, God, it's already bad. Ever since Bitcoin created a new record, the popular cryptocurrency is in great demand. As the cryptocurrency continues to gain mainstream adoption, it is essential to make it more accessible to anyone who wishes to, to buy into the ongoing financial revolution. Currently, the majority of Bitcoin purchases happen online exchange, on online exchanges and trading platforms, which prevent many from taking the plunge into cryptocurrencies due to apprehensions about the trustworthiness of these platforms. Bitcoin ATMs are a familiar solution to the above-mentioned problem, which make it easier for the general public to purchase the cryptocurrency. Somewhat similar to regular ATMs, these machines are physically accessible and easy to operate, making them ideal for those who are not sure about using online platforms. Even those that are familiar with cryptocurrencies also find such machines in strategic locations useful to meet the crypto needs. I hate crypto. However, there aren't many Bitcoin ATMs to be found across the world, but this is soon going to change as Bitcoin of America is striving to ensure that each town in every state of the United States gets at least one Bitcoin ATM. At present, Bitcoin of America has set up a network of 600 Bitcoin ATMs across the United States. The number is expected to surge as it continues to expand the network at a rapid pace by adding 100 to 150 new machines every month. Bitcoin of America ATMs are conveniently placed in local businesses that people frequently visit. Those would be the bodegas. <clears throat> These machines are set within a familiar setting, creating an atmosphere of trust for those willing to purchase Bitcoin through a FinCEN registered platform. Yay! The program also helps these businesses earn additional revenue by sharing transaction fees on Bitcoin purchases. In return, they just have to provide some space for the machine along with electricity and an internet connection. Apart from the Bitcoin ATMs, the Bitcoin of America host program also has portable Bitcoin tables to be handed out to partners who may not have adequate space to accommodate a bulky machine. With the company handling all of the logistics and compliance formalities, becoming a host for one of these fast-growing AT Bitcoin ATM and kiosk network is quite easy. Bitcoin of America also ensures that these locations gain enough ex exposure by advertising them on various digital channels, which results in the host locations getting increased foot traffic. Bitcoin of America lists all 600 locations on its website, and these ATMs are also listed on websites like Coin ATM Radar along side other global locations for better visibility. Bitcoin of America also offers a mobile wallet uh, app to buy, sell, and store their Bitcoin assets. Okay, nice. The, more ATMs is, is good. Uh, if you didn't hear the show that I did after Bitblock Boom, I mentioned that I walked into a bodega on, oh, it's not, I mean, you know, it's like, it's the a part of town that I would not have, you know, thought I'd ever see something about Bitcoin. And I walk into a seedy ass gas station and there at the very back is a Bitcoin ATM right next to a regular old-fashioned money ATM. I thought that that was fairly amazing myself. Now, this last one, Crypto Potato. Russian public officials have until April to sell their cryptocurrency holdings. Jordan Lanchez writing it again for Crypto Potato. Several weeks after signing legislation that required Russian officials to disclose their crypto holdings, the world's largest country by landmass has gone a step further by prohibiting them from owning any digital asset. 
the Ministry of Labor and Social Protection of the Russian Federation has sent a letter to civil servants regarding their cryptocurrency holdings. According to Forklog coverage, it reads that such officials have until April the 1st to get rid of their digital asset investments. Quote, officials are obliged to dispose of di- uh, digital financial assets issued in information systems organized in accor- accordance with foreign law, as well as digital currency, regardless of the country of issue. Does that include game tokens? Think about that. World of Warcraft has their own money, and it's like you can sell that shit. Do they have to get rid of that? I mean, this is, this is bizarre. Apart from prohibiting civil servants from owning such assets, the letter also forbids officials from using them in any way, including payment options. The decision comes shortly after President Vladimir Putin signed a decree dictating that country officials had to disclose information regarding their cryptocurrency investments. Those included the name of the assets that belong to them, their spouses, and minor children. Russia already has a somewhat controversial history with trying to regulate and even outlaw cryptocurrencies. Previous reports indicated that the nation considered hefty penalties and imprisonment for holding Bitcoin above certain thresholds. The government rejected these propositions and the new prime minister vowed to lead cryptocurrency usage in a civilized direction. But despite these setbacks, though, a uh, recent report outlined that Bitcoin is more attractive to Russian citizens than numerous other investment options, including gold. Thought they were going to say Ethereum, but no. Uh, and, you know, I was talking, like, I, I posted this story, you know, in during my morning show prep. And somebody uh, re- responded back to it and was saying, do you think this is like, is it possible that Putin's getting ready to announce that the Russian central bank or whatever their version of it is, is holding Bitcoin and that's why? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I That would be interesting if he did that, but it doesn't make any sense. I, I guess it it doesn't make any sense to me because I haven't spent the tw- last 20 years of my life working for the United States State Department. I don't understand these little these little nuances. It doesn't make sense to me to tell your civil servants that you can't hold Bitcoin, make them all get rid of it, and then all of a sudden announce that, hey, we're holding Bitcoin. That would just piss a lot of people off. I'd be the kind of pissed offness that I don't think anybody really wants to to see, but whatever. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Daily Train Wrecked is brought to you by Samson Moe, otherwise known as Excelion on Twitter. Although it's not what he, what he says. He's, he's retweeting Francis Coppola. Uh, says, she, Francis doesn't make very good wine, but she also makes even worse logical fallacies. She says, and this was yesterday, Bitcoiners, the total number of Bitcoins ever issued could be 21 million, 2100 million, 21 million thousand million, or 21, I don't know, let's just say, call it pentillion. She's just writing a bunch of numbers. And not one of you will ever know. You cannot predict the future. I'm not going to play the sound effect because something got jacked. Don't worry about it. Let's, let's, let's do this one because she's fundamentally not understanding the system that is Bitcoin that she proposes uh, is, is just junk. Okay. She says this, please learn to think if you divide a pizza into more pieces, more people can have some. If a pizza is large enough, 
Dividing it can satisfy everyone at the party. This is not difficult and even a Bitcoiner should be able to understand it. I don't understand how this woman has been writing on finance and economics for people like The Economist and who like the, the, the Times. She writes for all, like I've seen her pieces in Forbes. She's trusted. She's a trusted economic and financial advice journalist. And she doesn't understand the very basics of how math works. And it is astounding. And it's also, it also like really telegraphs why it is that the world finds itself in such dire straits economically in every country. Because somehow or another, people like Francis Coppola have convinced us that she really knows what she's talking about. But I'm here to tell you, she really doesn't. She does not understand numbers. Because she does not understand numbers, she has no hope of understanding something like money or microeconomics or, God forbid, macroeconomics. Stop listening to what Francis Coppola says on anything else. I'm not talking about just Bitcoin. If she writes a piece on why Tesla stock does X, stop reading it right then because she has no earthly idea what the hell is going on with Tesla. Or if she says what the Fed governors are thinking and why they're doing what they do, stop listening to her because she doesn't understand basic functional math. Stop doing that. Now, we got a joke. Today I found out that you can actually hear the blood flowing through your veins. You just have to listen varicosely. Get it? Yeah, I know. I can't help it. It's dad. I Dad writes the worst medical jokes ever. Anyway, uh, it's Monday. Uh, we're getting a little bit of a price bump. But honestly, I don't know why anybody was even sad about crashing all the way down to $30,000. We're in the low bit. We're in the low 30,000s. It's awful. Oh, oh, that's right. I, I bought a Bitcoin for $250 one time. I, I'm not sad. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.